medical department, only two go to the bench, and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test. Welcome to this Football Medicine and Performance podcast. I'm Eldra Zais, a member of the FMPA education team and your host for this episode. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Krista Janze van Rensburg. Professor Janze van Rensburg is a consultant rheumatologist, experienced sports physician, and the head of the section sports medicine at the University of Pretoria, where she oversees the teaching of sport and exercise medicine doctors and conducts research. Notably, she was the team doctor for the South African National Olympic team to the Athens 2004 Olympics and was the medical venue officer for the Loftus Stadium in South Africa during the FIFA Confederations Cup in 2009 and FIFA World Cup in 2010. She was recently appointed the chair of the Medical Advisory Panel for World Netball. She has investigated the effects of traveling on athletes and in 2020 published a systematic review on this topic in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. She is also a project partner and supervisor of the Drake Football Study, a project which is tracking the mental and physical health of 170 footballers over a 10 year period. Thank you for joining us today. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for the invitation, Nelly. It's good to have you on the podcast. And in this episode, we're going to discuss jet lag, travel fatigue, and the impact both can have on footballers. So to begin, Already provided a bit of an introduction there, but in your own words, please tell us about your journey to date and particularly what has led to your interest in the impact of jet lag and travel fatigue on athletes. I studied medicine. Um, It was always my passion. And then I specialized in rheumatology and sport and exercise medicine. Currently, I'm appointed at the University of Pretoria, where I teach young doctors like yourself to become sport and exercise medicine physicians. And I also have a clinical practice. In 2016, the International Olympic Committee invited me to present on jet lag and travel fatigue at the advanced team physician course held in South Africa. And while preparing this presentation, I noted that there is a lack of literature. Uh, It was really not a lot uh, that I could tap into to get my lecture together. And that sparked my interest in this field. And that is how I then uh, got a group together to, to work on that systematic review that you mentioned, and also a consensus document that we published in sports medicine the year after the um, systematic review. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. And just moving on now to talking a bit more about jet lag and travel fatigue. For clarity, how would you define them and why do they occur? I find it interesting that many people confuse travel fatigue and jet lag. They will just, when they travel, for example, from my country, South Africa, to England, tell me that they suffer jet lag, which is not possible because jet lag can only occur when you travel across more than three time zones. And what happens if you 
across time zones, your body clock will be out of sync with the time of your new destination. Um, and then to differentiate travel fatigue from jet lag, travel fatigue can really follow any long journey. It's not only if you fly, it can also be by train or by bus. And it's irrespective of the direction of your travel or the number of times it's crossed. So I think the worst scenario will be if you have crossing time zones and it is a long journey because then you will have a combination of jet lag and travel fatigue. Mm -hmm. Okay. And at the time we're recording this, the Women's Football World Cup is taking place in Australia and New Zealand. And many national teams have traveled eastward to compete. Um, you mentioned there how um, you can suffer jet lag crossing time zones, but um, sometimes people say it's worse to travel in a particular direction than others, such as westward or eastward. So is that true? And what else can influence how quickly an individual will adapt to a new time zone? Yes, it is true. And maybe if I take a step back to just explain, you know, that People need to understand that jet lag is a result of a mismatch between your normal body clock and the new destination time zone. Uh, and it's to do with your sleep-wake pattern over the course of a 24-hour day that helps you to control your schedule for sleep and wakefulness. And if you don't have proper signaling from your internal body clock, you will have difficulty in falling asleep. You will wake up more often throughout the night or be unable to sleep. So it will affect the whole way that your body is working, your hormones, your body temperature and your eating habits. And we know that traveling eat is more difficult because in that instance, you now need to advance your body clock. In other words, you are behind in time when you travel east. So you, it implies that you will struggle to fall asleep at night. And in the morning, you will have difficulty to, to get up because your clock is behind that of the local people. And to adapt when you cross either east or west, um, you, you will need approximately one hour per time zone crossed. But it's more difficult for most people to advance your body clock. In other words, when you travel east, you need to now fast forward your body clock to be in sync with that of the local people. And on the question on what else can influence how quickly you will adapt, a few things. Uh, if you are sleep deprived, you will struggle more. If you are ill or you have mental health issues, all of that can influence your adaptation to the new time zone mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and it just makes me think of um you know in preparing this podcast I was reading through um some of your publications around this and I noticed in one of them um there was a lot of discussion around preventing illness so uh you know and you mentioned illness there making things worse so is that why it's so important to mention um, when talking about travel fatigue and jet lag just to help stop that compounding of how difficult it is to adapt absolutely and I think we all learned a lot through COVID although we all forget quickly too uh, but you know if you can sort of 
board the plane, crossing time zones, and you're in perfect health. That will really help you to adapt quicker. Uh, you you know that if you have upper respiratory tract infection, for example, you will have a blocked nose, you will struggle to sleep. And sleep is the one thing that we know that can help you to adapt quicker. You don't want to go on that plane and be sleep deprived because then you're already behind your teammates or your opponents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And most people are um, you know, aware of the fact that jet lag and travel fatigue can impact athletic performance. And you, you mentioned there's some of the other ways um, that footballers can be impacted. Um, so do you mind just um, outlining some of those? Yes, so um, I think many times people forget, you know, that in the long term, it may actually affect health. And I usually sort of use the equation of shift workers, where it's been shown now that, you know, if you do shift work for a long time, you get metabolic disorders, you can get cancer. So a lot of problems towards your long-term health. And we know that footballers travel a lot um, and they get accumulated travel fatigue and jet lag. Uh, so for the long term, really not good for your health, while in the short term, uh, the disruptions to your circadian rhythm may result in a lack of energy. You can have digestion problems. You can have memory issues. Uh, cognitive issues so it can really impact your health in the short and the long term mm -hmm. okay and when you're talking there about some of the long-term consequences um uh, i suppose you're are you referring more to the players that do a lot of travel for international competitions um international matches so throughout throughout the whole playing career lots and lots of uh travel across time zones absolutely the so-called congested calendar mm -hmm. uh, people go back and forth and I think uh, maybe some of the leagues that uh, will be the best example of this in the United States you know where they in one country need to cross many time zones in one season um, that would be a good example but also in Europe where you know people travel from the one end of Europe to for example Asia now, with the World Cup going down to New Zealand, so you will have a combination of jet lag and travel fatigue. You're not only traveling east, you're also traveling uh, south. And that brings into play all the environmental issues where you guys are now sitting in a summer, uh, nice temperature in the southern hemisphere. It's winter, it's cold. Uh, um, so all of that will also bring into play uh, pathogens, uh, that can cause illness and that can actually have an influence on your ad adaptation to the new environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, and now that we've um, talked about jet lag, travel fatigue, in terms of what they are, um, what can influence how quickly people can adapt um, and some of the consequences, um, let's talk a little bit about some um, practical considerations um, for helping to minimize their impact. So um, if we split it into pre, during, and post-travel, um, just starting with pre, what would you recommend is put in place to help reduce the impact? 
there's different options available and some people prefer not to pre-adapt. If you want to pre-adapt, the recommendation is that you do it at one hour per day, but not for longer than four days before travel. For example, if you're traveling east, you want to four days before you travel, start to go to bed one hour earlier. In that way, you will win at least four hours so that when you arrive and you, for example, cross eight time zones, then you're just four hours behind and not eight hours. Um, also, before you travel, you can bank sleep. You will hear me referring to the importance of sleep over and over again. And then uh, you can also start to work on light exposure and avoidance as per your destination time zone. One can try and use melatonin. Um, and then, of course, what you eat at what time will also influence. Uh, how you react to jet lag uh, before you travel. During travel, in our consensus document, uh, we had different views, and most of the people felt that you should probably not set your clock to that of the destination time zone when you board. The majority felt that you should sleep when you're tired. Uh, because, again, you don't want to be sleep-deprived. And on the plane, it is difficult to sort of get bright light when you need it and be in the dark when you need it, unless you have a private jet, which not many people have the option uh, to do. And also, while on the plane, uh, you can rather eat small meals and non-fatty meals if it can be organized. Of course, we also always tell athletes not to take any alcohol uh, for a few reasons. The one being it is a diureticum and if you now want to sleep, it may wake you up before you because you need to, to uh, pass urine. So that is, is a real problem. And then of course, caffeine. Um, there are many questions around caffeine but for now the recommendation is you know if you take it strategically it may actually assist you uh, but on the plane probably not when you want to go to sleep for the same reasons as avoiding alcohol mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then once footballers are at their destination um, what things can be put in place again to help reduce the impact so for post-travel, I like to divide it into non-pharmacological interventions and pharmacological interventions. The non-pharmacological ones would be things like light, exercise, sleep, and the pharmacological ones would be like caffeine, melatonin, and sleeping tablets. Um, and depending on how many time zones you Crust will determine when is a good time to get light exposure or to avoid light. And the idea is that you try and combine your exercise with the period that you are allowed to have light exposure. Um, regarding caffeine, as I said, uh, you can use it specifically in the early 
well, not early morning, but mid-morning, when you typically get that feeling of tiredness and you can't focus, it will help you to stay alert. Um, regarding uh, nutrition, we need to remember that some of the macronutrients like carbohydrate and fat can make you more sleepy, while proteins will help you to be more alert. If we then move on to the pharmacological options like melatonin, again, as with light, depending on how many time zones you crossed, that will tell you when to take the melatonin. And of course, the short-acting sleeping tablets, uh, you know, you need to use when you need to go and sleep and get a restful period of at least four to six hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. And just to finish off with this question, so you mentioned some of the pharmacological options there. Um, what are some of the pros and cons of these? So, for example, melatonin, benzodiazepines, and Z drugs, uh, such as Opiclone. The, the first thing for me that is important is um, adverse events. So I would never give an athlete melatonin or any of the other drugs just before a big event if they haven't used it before. I think it is important to make sure that the athlete can actually endure the drug because every individual reacts differently to medication. So I think that is important. Then regarding melatonin, as I said, depending on the time zones crossed, that will determine when you take it. But also we need to remember it is not officially tested in all countries so it may be contaminated and we all need to abide by the water rules so we need to make sure that it is trustworthy if we want to to use melatonin uh, for the athletes and also uh, remember that melatonin is not only a, a sort of a shifting your clock it's also sedative, so it's both a chronobiotic um, and a, a sleeping aid. And then regarding the benzodiazepines, I don't like to prescribe it. I think it causes a lot of tardiness and people can get dependent on those drugs. So I'd rather not give them. I'd rather prefer to, to go to the Z drugs. Um, but then again, I would make sure that the athlete has used it before without any side effects. And then I would use the short acting ones. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You know, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. But I found that really interesting. And I'm sure the listeners have too. So thank you very much for giving up your time to come onto the podcast and for sharing your expertise with us. It's my absolute pleasure and I hope it was helpful. So listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the FMPA podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Alternatively, please check out the podcast section of the FMPA website. Links to any research papers or other resources mentioned will be provided in the description of this podcast episode. 
Thank you for listening to the Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. Have a great day.